game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildey. Alright, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the co host of the Dynasty Owner's Manual podcast. And I'm Adam Wildy, the other co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. And I'll get us started with the foreword. We've got an episode of Best Ball Owners Manual out now, so definitely go check that out. It was uh, phenomenal. Great chemistry right off the bat. Debbie Owners Manual has been absolutely killing it. They had the episode the other day, man. They mocked the 18, 19, and 2020 classes together. So when you're talking about those 2020 picks being so valuable, you really need to know why they're so valuable. Go check that out. See how many 2020 guys went over the 2019 guys, the 2018 guys holding value. And then remember, we're the video guys at DLF now. So stay tuned to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're working all that out. We're going to be on the DLF family of pods as well. Um, it's going to be a mailbag-centric show, but uh, there will be some twists. So definitely check that out. Yeah, and uh, just a quick note on the DLF work. I know we've been talking about that for the last few weeks or so. We're trying to hammer out the last bit of details right now, trying to get a format, a structure, because you guys know for anybody that's been on the show, listened to the show quite often, I need my show sheets. I need some time to prepare my takes. So we've been we've been trying to finalize those details, and we should have something out to you guys here within the next few weeks. So definitely look for us after the NFL draft, which actually will be here within the next few days. And leading into it, we brought in the Dynasty Outlaw himself, uh, Memphis, in order to try and talk through both this class, previous classes, and kind of how we can use some of the situations from the previous classes to help inform our decisions as we walk into the 2019 rookie class. So just getting right into it, I mean, Memphis, can you talk to us about, I guess, your general I guess, feeling towards the 2019 class as compared to any of the previous classes because we don't have the generational talents up at the top of this class. So how do you feel about this rookie class coming into it? If you need wide receiver help, I, I think you're really going to like the, the draft. Before we hit the record button, Adam and I were talking, and we were talking about A.J. Brown and Keel Harry and D.K. Metcalf, and I, I think that's where the talent lies. Um how I feel about this class, I'll just kind of, you know, hit real quick a position. I love it for wide receiver compared to the last two drafts because, you know, th that, that's what's fresh in our mind. From the running back perspective, I mean, last year's class was an all-timer. And the year before that was, was, you know, even better. Overall, we didn't have a Saquon Barkley, but with Fournette and Mixon and Cook and CMC and so many good guys. Um, so it's, it's hard not to, to compare those classes, but I think there's one or two running backs you'll like. Quarterbacks, same thing as, as last year's running backs class. I mean, really, can you beat Baker, you know, all-time rookie touchdown thrower? 
Then you got Sam Darnold, who I'm a huge fan of. Josh Allen, QB1, the last five weeks of the season. I mean, it's going to be hard for Kyler and Locke and Haskins to compete with that. But the tight end class and the wide receiver class, so basically the pass catchers, I love. I think this tight end class will be better. Man, it may be tough to say better, but equal to that 2017 because you go back and we drafted early. We drafted OJ Howard. We drafted Evan Ingram. Mm-hmm. And we there was one other guy, and, I, and, I, and I'm drawing a blank. Uh, and Njoku, yeah. David, David Njoku, and who ended up being the, uh, the the top dog of that class was was George Kittle. But I think we're going to look back in a year or two, and we're going to look at T.J. Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Irv Smith, Jay Sternberger, Dawson Knox, and we're really going to look back at this class. So comparing it, you know, apples to apples, it's quote unquote a down class, but this is a class where. Uh, I, I think you'll find some some good quality starters for your dynasty team. Now that leads me right into the next question. When you said that uh, the quote unquote down class portion, and it sounds like you might end up having a similar opinion to me. Do you feel like the picks uh, are valued similarly year to year? Let's say uh, the one hundred one's kind of let's toss out the one hundred one because seems like every year we get a guy that stands out, except for maybe this year. But uh, let's take like Barkley aside. Let's say. You think the 104 is is relatively similar on a year to year basis? No, but I, I also think that works positively and negatively. Like I would have much rather had the 104 in last year's draft. I don't yep. have that ADP pulled up in front of me than I would in this year's class. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to be in a real a much trickier situation this year than you would have been last year. But one thing I think 2019 has over 2018 is I think you're going to get a lot of really valuable players in that 201 through 212, especially in your premium leagues, super flex, tight end premium. Um, I think the second round picks in 2019 are more valuable than last year. And obviously the first round picks were much more valuable last year and next year. I don't think the fabled 2020 class uh, has got enough love, but if it hasn't, you want 2020 first. Sure. And I, I prompted that question Assuming I'd probably get that answer because that's the right answer. It, the the 104 this year is not going to be as valuable as next year. But what I did want to make sure that we slid in here was that when the draft happens and your favorite player goes to your favorite team, there's a lot of psychology in this game, and we try to touch on it a lot. It's going to get pretty close to similar value, even though A.J. Brown isn't necessarily – the same prospect that DJ Moore even might have been, um, and DJ Moore was going around the one six, and you're you're going to have to get AJ Brown around the one three ish, and so that goes to show you right there, you know we'd rather DJ Moore, and he went around one six, talking about the receiver that you'd have to take around one three one four, so yeah, it's not going to be the same, but you know right around draft day, right around when this episode drops, sell your picks if you don't want them because somebody got their player to land on their team and they want them at the one Oh three. And I've said this before, uh, rookie picks are just like, uh, real estate or like a motorcycle. I've used this analogy before as well. I live in Indiana and I I ride a Harley Davidson. Now what you can buy a Harley Davidson for in Indianapolis in February is a lot different than what you're going to pay for a Harley Davidson in June. It's just a weather-based game, and that's the same thing as your rookie picks. What you pay for a rookie pick today, even today, we're talking, what, three days as we record this for, before the NFL draft, what that 104 is worth now, this very second, versus what it will be even a week from now, 
you just got a 25% markup and did nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, this is the worst time of the year to be moving your rookie to picks. You want to and, and go back and look. You can do historical lookup. Go back to MFL. Go to last year's page and go look at all the trades done during your rookie drafts last year. Mm-hmm. There's going to be action. There's going to be value to have. Owners get FOMO, fear of missing out on a player, on a situation, and you're going to be able to cash out if you can a little bit of patience and a little bit of savvy. Actually, we were just talking about this in a thread earlier today with uh, Mr. Bobby Koch in the sense that, because I had asked the question about this time, is it about now when folks start to, it's like almost like a pencils down type of situation where we've done all the information we can, people are putting out mock drafts seemingly on the daily, uh, we still got YouTube highlights of some of people's pay, uh, favorite players coming out, but our trades or dynasty trades for picks actually happening now like three days before the draft and i think for right now a lot of folks are saying no i mean all that all that talk now is kind of slowing down or all the discussion is slowing down because people want to see where their players are going to land people want to see where aj brown Nikhil harry dk metcalf they want to know like what their picks are going to be worth post draft so if you're going to make try and make any moves with some of the assets or the the picks that you currently have now would kind of be that time to, to wait, see where some of these players land, and then afterwards, I would assume, and you guys can maybe tell me if, if the situation is a little bit different, but I would assume you're going to see, just see a flurry of action you know, after day two, day three of the, of the NFL draft. Is, is, that a, is that a correct assumption? Yes, as soon as boards start shaping up, yep. I mean, it, it, the, the minute a guy, we're going to talk about this here in a bit, uh, the minute a, a player lands in situation X, Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're picking me and Adam. We're doing this very exercise in one of the leagues that I'm in the middle of a startup on about certain owners and certain players and who you think you, you're going to get because you know your guy and you know who's going to fall or you have an idea. And you just got to sit back and wait and uh, capitalize at the right time. It's the funny thing about being such a close knit group, this dynasty community that we have because uh, Memphis is going through the people he has in his leagues, and I was able to just rattle off who I they're going to pick. So I hope we can, I'm going to go ahead and write down what I said, because when he goes to draft, I'm going to be very curious what my hit percentage was. I'm pretty sure that I, uh, that I got them all right. But uh, really we got into the whole last week's episode was about trading picks. And basically Chris, you, me, Russ came to the consensus that uh, we'll take the top four, assuming Kyler's one, we'll take one. And then the other three, maybe DK if you really like them, maybe Josh Jacobs. But uh, after that, we want to trade back. So is that kind of what, where you're at, Memphis? I would much rather have trade trade back that early to mid first for three picks in the second round, especially in a premium draft. I could, if I could trade one, I, we were just talking, I have the 106. If I can trade 106 for 201, 204, 205, I'll do that. I know I'm giving up. A, a more likelihood to hit, but with who I think will be there. I mean, I w- I've done so many mock drafts on my podcast and had the, the the good fortune of being on some other shows and doing some mock drafts. I know exactly who's going to be in that range, and I would much rather have three pulls on that slot machine than to just have one. So, yeah, I'm definitely a move-back guy. Yeah, and it definitely seems like from the, from the mocks and from just from everybody – trying to ascertain the value of some of the players that are currently going in that range, it seems like a lot of them can be placed in pretty much the same tier. And as we talked last week, if you want to look at structural-based drafting, if you're looking at a bunch of players that all exist within, within that same tier, 
why hold on to, let's say, the 109, the 110, the 111, when you could acquire either a current veteran, somebody that you could maybe plug in for bye weeks along with a second round pick, or or just like you just said, Memphis, like, let's take, you know, let's grab two or three picks out of the second round and see if we can have a couple extra bullets in the chamber so that we can get, acquire as many assets out of the round, which we, we believe to have equal or similar value for the, in this uh, 2019 class. And I think that's the right strategy to try and approach uh, this 2019 class, because as we know, plenty of value to go around, especially in the pass catcher, pass catching ability type players or the players that we know are going to be uh, producing for our fantasy teams. And so that kind of segues into kind of the exercise we wanted to discuss tonight, because we've seen the talent uh, we understand or for the, the analytics folks, like they we've looked at the college production, the breakout age, the market share. So we have an idea of what's gone on from the players previously. The film grinders have given us enough of the traits-based analysis to, so we know how they win, what they're good at, what they're capable of doing. But we're really just we're waiting for that last data point. We're looking to see where they're actually going to wind up at, which team is going to value them and how they're going to value them as it comes to draft capital. So what we're going to do tonight is actually walk through the exercise of looking at some past situations how we valued some of the current veterans as they were going through the same process and try and apply that uh, to the 2019 class. So Adam, start us off, would you? Yeah, so I'm going to start us off with I think is the shining example of uh, what we're trying to get get across today, and that's John Kelly last year. Uh, it took a long time for John Kelly to get hyped up to the range that he made it to, but he was a impressive player. I, I still think that he's got some juice but he's just he he won't ever get an opportunity and in april of last year he was uh the 15th overall player so people were watching film it was definitely the film community really propping him up getting him up to 15 early second round range and then he went to the rams um behind todd Gurley. now between april he was at 15 overall may the next day adp data point all the way down to 31. So that's a situation-based change that we're going to experience this coming week or having listened to this episode this past weekend where it's he was a great prospect. We liked him a lot. But if you don't have opportunity, you're, you've really got nothing. So that was uh, the big change for John Kelly, and that's just putting a guy in a, in a situation where it's very difficult to see the light. And uh, when you get back behind one of those only workhorses in the league that kind of gets murky i mean there are situations like the uh the kamar situation where they could see a path that touches um and that's great but you didn't get that with john kelly so that's going to put memphis up next for his example yeah my example is royce freeman from just last year so going into the draft last year denver did not have a lot in the backfield they basically had devonta booker and that was about it so Denver invests NFL draft capital. That's a term you're going to hear a lot in your rookie drafts and your rookie mocks. They invested the 71st overall pick. Uh, in the, it's a, one of the early picks of the third round on Royce Freeman. He had huge college production, another buzzword you're going to hear a lot as you get closer to your rookie drafts. Uh, his ADP spiked. It went up uh, in a very short period of time, the same period of time you just referenced. He went from 11th to 8th. That's a 27.2% increase in a very short time. Um, and we all loved it. On the surface, you know, he he had the NFL draft capital. He had the college production. 
Um, he was an okay. I mean, he he didn't. He was no Saquon Barkley at the combine, but he he was serviceable. We, we see a lot of guys with the same metrics in this year's class. And man, we were all about it. Uh, I saw Royce Freeman in one of my rookie drafts last year go as high as number three. And what we all didn't look at because we didn't dig deep enough, we ignored this this little five foot eight, hundred ninety pound, had a hairstyle somewhere between Bob Ross and Sideshow Bob. Looked like me in high school. He was so sweet, and uh, you know, five foot eight and a, and a buck ninety, and you know, all all the guy. His name was Philip Lindsay out of Colorado, and come in and rushed for over a thousand yards, nine touchdowns, and was a, a Pro Bowler. And we we didn't take that. We didn't factor that into our equation. Not that we would have, based on you know, his age and, and everything with Lindsay. But it's like it, it it doesn't always work out perfectly. And the reason why I bring this up is because you do hear a lot of buzz terms for the newer dynasty player is you hear draft capital, you hear college production, landing spot dependent is another one. Um, unless you're in a league, like I'm in a couple that we start doing our rookie drafts this coming Sunday after the NFL draft is, is over. We just go. But if you have time, listen to shows like this, listen to shows like mine and, and get all the facts and, and write stuff down and, and do your research because we've just given you two examples of guys that, you know, looked like on paper, after the draft, they were going to be home runs. And uh, so did the industry, as a matter of fact. And it doesn't always work that way. So Royce Freeman uh, was my example. All right. Now, I think a lot of the things that we've now heard out of this out of this current class, and I know a lot of uh, players that have been discussed in previous classes, but you'll see you'll hear a lot about um, not just the players' traits, what they can do on the field, uh, like in terms of their college production, but also where they come from. So when we try and adjust for players and their skills, like if a player comes from, I don't know, if they played at Ohio State versus, um, I don't know, what is the name of the college that Ashton Doolin plays from? I can't even remember the name anymore. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's um, what is the name question, of that college? I don't remember. I'm oh, glad my you're goodness. Not me like Malone, a right? Malone? Malone sounds correct. Yes. Sure. So let's go Ten with points that. for Gryffindor. So if I were to tell you that there was a receiver that comes from a college called Eastern Washington, I mean, there would, again, that's one of those smaller schools that a lot of people wouldn't pay attention to. But then if I were to tell you that this wide receiver also ran a 4-6 at the Combine, then that also that, that receiver would also get kind of written off. Now, this is a 6-2, like type of receiver when they were coming out. But if it's a small school, not, com- not necessarily quick a lot of people would go ahead and write them off. But I'm talking about Cooper Cup. I mean, the guy that once he went to the Rams, of course, it was more of a, well, now what are they going to do with this guy? Now, he didn't have, I mean, the athletic ability was clearly there. But if, again, some of the larger metrics that we look for, where they came from, what they were able to do at the Combine, they wind up dropping down on our individual rankings because they're not able to perform on the big stage that we considered to be one of the biggest anchors for determining fantasy value. But when it came to Cooper Cup and now winding up in such a wonderful situation, even though in 2017 there was nobody that, I wouldn't say nobody, but very few folks believed that the Rams were going to be able to turn around and into this massive offensive juggernaut. But still, we see that 
Cooper Cup provides one of those cases where if you understand the fit, if you see what uh, not just the athletic ability, but also the offensive scheme in which the uh, coordinator and the head coach also want to install, you can see where the situation now augments and actually boosts or enhances the talent that the receiver was able to display uh, both at the college level and then now with now into the pros. Now with Cooper Cup, now his uh, his ADP, if I'm not mistaken, it moved forward slightly, like after like uh, pre-draft and post-draft, but it wasn't enough to get us on the radar because again, Cooper Cup was drafted in the third round. But it was 27 to 23. Yeah, 27 to 23. So while his NFL draft pedigree was in the third round, he was still being considered in the second-ish round of rookie drafts. So again, it's one of those we have to take into account the situation and the positives that can be done with that along with uh, some of the negatives that might occur. So as uh, the Philip Lindsay case, so there might be some you know ancillary uh, situations that we need to account for. But with Cooper Cup, there are some other things that we need to take into account as well before going ahead and writing a receiver off. And I wanted to go ahead and add one more example that we haven't really touched on because these are all of our cautionary tales and all of our different situations that could lead us to believe that these players are more valuable, less valuable, um, just based on the draft. And uh, I think the big caution is just saying that uh, the draft is the piece of the puzzle and not to the uh, the entire puzzle because it seems like we throw a lot out of the window. Uh, what happened in 2017 was that uh, CMC was being drafted at five before the draft. And then he went to Carolina, and he moved it up to three overall. Uh, that doesn't seem like a large jump, but he jumped over Cook and Mixon. At the time, both were uh, much more impressive prospects than him, at least in the eyes of the uh, in the in the eyes of the NFL. Um, but Cook went to a team that had Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray was uh, on a contract year. Uh, Mixon went to the Bengals, and Hill was already struggling at that point. But we want the easiest path to touches. Now, this is a scenario where it worked out, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the correct process at the time. Um, we want instant results, and that's what we were going with with CMC. Uh, I really liked him as, as a prospect, and I'm really glad that it worked out, but it was just interesting to me to note that just from the draft, so we're talking you know, Thursday, he was being drafted fifth overall. Monday, he's being drafted third overall over two other very good running back prospects still to this day. It's just interesting to me um, that he got to do that, got to make that jump, even though nobody, you know, really valued him over the two of them before the draft. Uh, So that kind of concludes our practical application of what has happened. So we want to take what has happened and go into what will happen. We're going to go ahead and start with you, Memphis. Go ahead and tell us what you think is going to happen with your guy this year. My guy this year is Rodney Anderson. Now, Rodney Anderson, for, again, the newer listener, he's a running back out of Oklahoma. He's a bigger bigger back. He's depends on where you get your measurement. He's six foot, 220, give or take an inch, maybe a pound. Biggest red flag with him is his medicals. I have heard it said about Rodney Anderson from a skill standpoint that if he had a clean bill of health during his time in college, he would be an easy 101 in this class. Probably not in Superflex, but in like a one QB league. So extremely talented. I, I won't give it away as to where Matt Waldman of the rookie scouting portfolio ranked him, but let's just say you'd be very impressed with his overall Matt Waldman rank. 
Um, now, he, he's a guy currently that's going at 15, which I found to be a little bit high. I'm assuming that's non-tight end premium, non-super flex. Right. But, 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 but he's a guy that I could see making it into that 10-11 range if he were to wind up on a team like Chicago. Now, Chicago is uh, pretty well documented as traded Jordan Howard to the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Jordan Howard represented 250 of Chicago's 463 rushing attempts last year under Matt under Matt Nagy, and that's a 53.4 percent you know rush share. They brought in Mike Davis from the Seattle Seahawks in free agency. There's still Tariq Cohen, but there for me is a is a clear path to where Rodney Anderson could be very relevant again. He's got to pass his medicals and, and you know see, you know see where he gets drafted. Uh, in this case, I'm saying Chicago. Another great spot where I could see his ADP rising, kind of like Royce Freeman last year, would be Houston. Alfred mm-hmm. Blue is now the backup to Leonard Fournette in Jacksonville. And Alfred Blue, just on his own, left 150 carries behind in Houston. That's a 31.8% market share. And let's be honest, I mean – I don't think anyone really hates Lamar Miller, but does anyone love him? Mm-hmm. And th- th- there's plenty of there's plenty of rushes that a healthy Rodney Anderson could siphon off of Lamar Miller's total. You know, maybe he can get that up to a forty percent. So I think those are the kind of landing spots. I think we all want to naturally project Philadelphia as a great landing spot or Tampa Bay, and they very well could be. But those are ones that I would go up, and I think the worst spot because Dallas needs a running back. Jerry Jones kind of has this affinity with Oklahoma, Arkansas, schools in that region of the country. And uh, they lost Rod Smith. At least they haven't re-signed him as their backup in Dallas. You know, Rod Smith leaves behind 44 rush attempts last year. And I think most of those came in week 16 when Zeke really didn't play much. Mm-hmm. And that's a, t- that, that, that's a 10% market share. That's the kind of landing spot. If Rodney Anderson were to land there behind Zeke, it would be very John Kelly-esque mm-hmm. uh, from last year. And I could see that what is currently ADP 15 overall in rookie drafts, I could really see that sliding back well into the mid to late 20s. So th- th- that was kind of my guy for this exercise. That would be the exact John Kelly career arc. I mean, he's being drafted at 15. John Kelly was at 15, and John Kelly went behind one of the very few workhorses we have left, and he made it all the way to 31. Uh, Memphis, before we move on to Chris, I kind of wanted to dig into yours just a little bit. So when you have a guy that's back at 15, but he's a bit of a unique situation, right? Because as you said, he could be the 101, and I can attest to that. I, I would agree to that uh, based on his film and his production when healthy, uh, so efficiency. I, I would agree with that. He's a little bit of his uh, his own case because if he lands somewhere that shows some confidence in him, then we're going to try to over-justify. Would you say that's a little bit different than the Christian McCaffrey situation when we're talking three guys that – we really liked and we were really excited about just uh, flip-flopping based on landing spot. Yeah, I, I don't see Rodney Anderson on regardless of any landing spot, you know, leapfrogging similar to Christian McCaffrey did uh, in, in his draft class. I, I think jo- I think Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders are, are firmly locked in ahead of him. I think Rodney Anderson, to the savvy owner, is, is going to be a bit of a value and I don't see many people reaching for him, so no, I, I, I don't think it would it would be like that. I think it would be. Uh, I, again, I, I keep saying Royce Freeman, and I hate to keep you know using the, the the same example, but 
again and then john kelly it's it, it's so odd and then but john kelly didn't overcome those odds and royce freeman didn't you know you know make good on a on a, on a pre-made hand if you will if you're a mm-hmm. poker player so mm-hmm. um yeah, no, I don't. I don't think Rodney Anderson, even in my ideal landing spots of Chicago, or even at in Tampa Bay, I didn't do any research on Tampa Bay or Philadelphia. But even if he lands in a, in a prime landing spot, I don't see him leapfrogging Jacobs or uh, David Montgomery or Miles Sanders. I just, I think he's going to be RB five, maybe at the best, regardless of landing spot. So moving on, uh, so the. Rookie that I took a look at was actually uh, Andy Isabella out of UMass. So now, I know the general consensus around uh, Andy Isabella is that he's primarily a slot receiver, but he does have uh, multiple talents so that he could wind up playing at least somewhat on the outside, but I think the, the biggest problem with his game is that he likes to shuffle his feet do a bunch of dance moves and it's very hard while he can and a lot of his highlights he can shake press coverage uh, it's also one of his I guess, his downfalls is that some of the flashy moves can kind of uh, get him in trouble in terms of trying to create separation so while I think the highlight reels will probably garner enough attention so that he will wind up with a decent draft pedigree, at the same time, it, it definitely will come down to team fit because if he does get slated into that slot receiver type of role and that's where a team expects him to play, then he's going to need to be able to win consistently at that type of position. So it's going to take a little bit of work, but I do think a possible team fit for him, uh, because their current wide receiver corpse is not all that great, uh, I I think that a a fit with the New England Patriots would, I mean, obviously, I mean, attached to that particular offense would, would garner a ton of attention. But I do think that... Uh, I want to say that the easiest and probably it might be a little reductive in making the in making the connection, but what uh, they were able to do, what the Patriots or what Bill Belichick were able to do with Cordero Patterson and understanding his multi skill set, I do think that a similar corollary could be done with Andy Isabella. Similar in the sense that I think Andy Isabella, while primarily a slot receiver, he does have a little bit of a gadget-type receiver along with his game. So I do think there are a number of plays, and he's also able to, he can also win in both a shallow, a shallow and deep receiver routes as well. So if you're looking at something where they could actually do something off of maybe play action, something like that, I do think that Isabella could win in those type of situations. So think of uh, Andy Isabella as something of a Chris Hogan replacement so that it, he I think he could win in those in those type of situations. So we'll see that we'll see if what they're what they're going to do with Josh Gordon. We'll see how Philip Dorsett consider uh, continues to develop, and we'll see how he can how he can work within that team. But I do think a fit in that situation will then pull vault is Isabella into like more the more towards the front end of drafts. But again, it all depends on team fit. But I do think that the the Patriots with their creativity on offense, I think would be a great fit for him and what he can bring to the team. Now, your Andy Isabella is at uh, 19 overall, and our guy, this is, we determined on the mock episode, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, um, you took him at 12, and if you saw the video, I'm mouthing J.J. Arcega-Whiteside while you're pondering oh, yeah. the last pick. Mm-hmm. Um, he's at 18, and I think that a lot of that is because he did not do the combine stuff. Um, he's 6'2", 225, you know, great size. Uh, last year, 
He had 60 receptions uh, for 969 yards, but the 14 TD stands out. And if you watch, he runs this same play over and over and over again, and he scores every time. The efficiency rate was through the roof. I wish I remembered it off the top of my head on the same play. It's basically a fade with a push-off that he doesn't get called Hmm. for. It's not going to work in the NFL, but the power that he demonstrates on those plays just makes him a force in the red zone. Uh, He's going to be an immediate target hog in the red zone for whatever team he lands on. I I feel like he could go into a team as a wide receiver three uh, and still have an immediately fantasy relevant role um, because of his efficiency in the red zone and the way that he's able to work uh, cornerbacks and the way that he's basically able to bully within the five yards. He's got the intangibles to really make a difference right away and I think we've got a value right now I don't think 18 sticks whatsoever I think he ends up closer to that 12 that we both agreed to draft him at Um, especially since there's some guys in that range that might end up dropping but he's a guy that I wouldn't mind going to the Packers you know I don't necessarily believe that they spend an early pick on wide receiver but we know that they need wide receiver I mean they took a lot of guys late last year They've got other holes to fill. I think that J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is a guy that comes in, has an immediate role. He's not asked to be special uh, because between the 20s, I don't think that he's very special. But he's going to come in and he's going to feed off those doubles that Devontae Adams um, holds. And not to mention all the talk of Devontae Adams working out of the slot. So if uh, Devontae Adams could get more slot work and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside on the outside, that would be fantastic. Can, can I tell you where I would like to see J.J. Arcega-Whiteside go? Because I'm a big fan as well. Mm-hmm. I have two. Um, those that listen to my show know I'm a big Colts fan. I'm from yep. the Indianapolis area. And uh, Philadelphia as a Alshon Jeffrey replacement. Oh, yeah. okay. Philadelphia, um, I know they just signed Alshon. I believe it was not last year, but the off season before. So like the right at the start of 2018. Right after their Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and I think that's a contract they're going to need to get out from under. Mm-hmm. He's coming up on 30. It just makes sense. Let you know our Seagull Whiteside learn a little bit from Alshon. Mm-hmm. I love the way the guy high, high points the ball, but I, I, I don't think you could have uh, painted him in a more positive light. And for those that didn't follow his pro day, he ran a 4 4-4 4-4 hand-timed. Um, you can add a half a second to that, so you could say mm-hmm. in the 4-5-5. Five, five, but for a man his size, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. So uh, I agree with you. I think he's going to creep up draft boards very quickly. Yeah, definitely. I like. I definitely like that uh, that pick because I do wonder with uh, with Philadelphia. We do see both uh, Alshon's contract is going to be like fair, uh, one that they're going to have is going to be fairly hefty on their cap. Then also Nelson Aguilar's. So I wonder. I do wonder how that team is going to going to manage that. So uh, I'm wondering how Thursday and Friday is going to uh, going to play out for Philadelphia, and we'll, we'll see what the what moves that they wind up making. Uh, but I guess just real quick. Uh, so Memphis, I know we've talked about two specific situations uh, that I mean from both past and present. But outside of uh, the players or the rookies that we've already discussed, I mean, who else are you really looking forward to seeing drafted uh, on Thursday or Friday? Well, on, on Thursday, I, I'm Marquise Brown. I, I, I was talking with Adam before we hit the record button again about I'm listening to a lot of non-Dynasty podcasts because I want my takes to be my own. And one that I've been listening to is the uh, Todd McShay one on ESPN. 
and he, he's called Marquise Brown one of the most explosive players in uh, he's ever you know seen in 20 years of scouting, which whether you like McShay or not, that doesn't matter. The guy's got 20 years of experience, and he's saying that. And I know there's concerns about his size. He's five foot nine, a buck 65. But this is the new NFL, and what we got to take into account as, as dynasty owners is that this is the first year where the new pass interference being reviewable is going to be. Now, he is a littler guy, but you know what? Defensive backs and defensive coaches are going to be a lot less likely to put hands on this man because they're going to be f- afraid of pass interference. So I, I really like Marquise Brown. He was one of only two wide receivers invited to the draft. It was him and DK Metcalf. So not even N. Kill Harry is going to be at the draft, but this dude is. So I'm, I'm really excited for him on, on Thursday. And then on Friday, I, I'm, again, uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Um, I lo- love him. Irv Smith, I think he'll go on Thursday. And then uh, my, my sleeper tight end is Dawson Knox. You don't know a lot about him. He went to Old, uh, old Miss along with uh, – Adam's man crush, A.J. Brown, and friend of all of ours, J.K. Anderson's man crush, D.K. Metcalf. But mm-hmm. this is a pretty pretty impressive specimen himself. So he's a guy I'd like to see get some good tight end draft capital. Uh, so those those three, Whiteside, okay. Knox, and Hollywood Brown. Yeah, it's a wonder that Knox got any targets at all, honestly. I mean, the same reason that D.K. gets so much flack for not having a high market share will – project that onto the tight end that wasn't involved you know so i think it really took the film guys to get him involved in the conversation whatsoever because uh and we didn't he, mention the marcus podge who, who's right, also right. probably going to be drafted this week yeah he'll definitely be drafted it'll be a little bit later in that Deion kane type range but i mean three pro level wide receivers coming out the same year as him how's dawson knox going to get recognized besides flashing on the plays that he um very rarely is targeted on so I'm definitely, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to AJ Brown. He's been, at least for me, my wide receiver one for this class. So I'm, I'm highly looking forward to seeing where he gets drafted. Please let it be to a good spot, but we'll yeah. see how that works out. Uh, either way, I mean, Memphis, thank you so much for coming and sitting down with us tonight. I think it's a wonderful exercise for dynasty owners to try and walk through themselves. Uh, I mean, before the draft and then also after the draft because we have a ton of historical, I think, references that we can look at to try and identify what the proper value is for some of these rookies as they now um, they they enter into the pool of players that can now be put on our rosters. So I think those are definitely things that we need to take into account uh, before we uh, click that uh, you know draft button uh, once we get on the clock. But before we get you on out, uh, I mean, let us know what other work that we can uh, look forward to, any other podcasts, articles, or anything of that nature that we should be uh, looking out for. Well, first of all, thank you both very much for having me on. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. Uh, I'm a member of the Dynasty Football Network. I am a host or co-host of the Dynasty Warzone podcast. We drop every Wednesday, and I do mean every Wednesday. That's uh, something my co-host and I, Jerry, Jerry Sinclair, um, we take very seriously, and, and, and we love being part of your, your, your dynasty life. Uh, don't write much right now. I've got a lot going on in my personal life, but my, my podcast is my baby. Proud to be part of the Dynasty Football Factory, uh, much like you know, a recent guest of your guys is Shane, Shane Manella. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, th- that's really it. We, we drop every Wednesday. We're going to start doing a little bit of Patreon stuff uh, here in the not-too-distant future. But don't be afraid to hit me up on Twitter at DFF Memphis. Uh, that's at DFF as in Dynasty Football Factory Memphis. I would love to help you out. You know, if you have a, hey, I'm on the clock and, you know, who would you take? I can't promise to get them all right, 
but I can promise to give you insight as, as to why I'm thinking what I'm thinking and not just uh, slamming it, uh, you know, A, B, C, or D, and uh, more than happy to give you a retweet. So uh, I, lo- I love helping out. That's why I do what I do. But again, thank you guys for having me on. I uh, look forward to having you guys on the Dynasty Warzone real soon, hopefully sooner rather than later. Absolutely, uh, without a doubt. I'm hoping we can definitely we can make that happen. And so for everybody there, definitely uh, hit up Memphis as soon as possible. Get on, get in that man's DMs, and uh, get some of his insight as soon as possible. Adam, before we get on out of here, do we have anything else for the folks? Yeah, much appreciated, Memphis. We've talked many times uh, to this point, and it's very, very happy to have had you on. It's been a long time coming, so I'm really excited for this episode to get out and. Uh, before the draft this weekend i mean the the draft is going to make so many differences and i just wanted to clear up we kind of got on track with the beginning saying that yeah landing spots important but uh, you know don't go f- away from everything that you knew leading up to this point but then we go through the podcast and you see well we need this guy to land here we need that guy to land here um it's definitely a tightrope that you're going to have to walk but just remember draft is part of the process not the only part of the process put it put it in just like you put in you know more important than the combine more important than the pro day but it's another piece uh probably right up there with their production so uh take it for what it is adjust your boards accordingly if you have a draft on sunday good luck but you can follow me at a p w i l d e you can find the podcast at dynasty manual check out the other podcasts in our uh D-O-M, family of podcasts. That's Best Ball Owners Manual, Debbie Owners Manual. And you'll see us on DLF real soon. Thank you uh, for tuning in. Absolutely. So for Memphis, for Adam, I'm Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. We thank you guys for catching us tonight, and we'll catch you all next week. It's automatic, D- dynasty, it's automatic, owner's manual, it's automatic, D- dynasty, it's automatic.